I'm going to be speaking tonight on the seven blessings in Revelation. But before I do, I'm going to put a plug in for my life group because this message came from my life group. We've been studying the covenants of God, man to man, and then God's covenants to man. And during that, I bought a book, Kenneth Copeland in uh, Greg Stevens' new book called God, the Covenant, and the Contradiction. I recommend this book to everybody because this message developed from that book. I was studying it one day, and he gave a scripture in Revelations 14, and it talked about being blessed. In the little footnote, my Bible says, this is the second blessing in Revelations. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. I know the one in chapter 1. I don't recall ever seeing this one. And it goes on to say that the other six are in the last seven chapters of Revelation. Now, all my Bible scholars out here, how many of you knew that there are seven distinct blessings in the book of Revelation? Don't feel bad. I've asked pastors. I've asked people that I know that study the Bible. And they say, oh, you're talking about the seven churches. I said, no, blessings, not churches. I got a text from a relative last night says, I've been studying the book of Revelation, my sister and I, for two months, and you got to be talking about the seven spirits in Isaiah. I said, no, seven blessings. So for my life group that meets the second and fourth Monday of every month, I thank you for helping me get this message. How many of you have read the book of Revelations? A lot of people get concerned about reading the book of Revelations. Of course, it has a little bit of gloom and doom, but it has some great things going on in it too. Now, as we look at this, I'll give you a little lesson in Hebrew. Every letter in the Hebrew alphabet has a number assigned to it and a picture. For instance, Gamal, which is the number three, means divine fullness or perfection. Hey, the number five is grace or favor. Zayin, the number seven, is completion or spiritual perfection. Isn't it amazing that the book of Revelations has seven blessings in it? The book that completes the Bible the book that is full of spiritual perfection. Father, before I get into my message, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that's upon me. Let the words that come forth be your words and not mine. Father, let them glorify you as we study the seven blessings in the book of Revelations. So, the first one is Revelations chapter 1, verse 3. This is the one that everybody gets excited about. And I'm using the amplified version. I know Pastor Troy calls it the fluffy version and floofy and that. But I like it because it does give us further meaning into some of the words that we take for granted. Blessed. That word blessed means you're happy, you're prosperous, and you're to be admired. 
is he who reads. Now, just by reading the book of Revelation, you're blessed. And those who hear the words of the prophecy. So you need to read and hear. So sometimes it pays for you to read the book of Revelations out loud so that you can hear it or put it on a Bible tape or however you want to listen to it. But take time to listen to the book of Revelations. And he who keeps the things which are written in it, heeding them, taking them to heart, for the time of fulfillment is near. There's a promise of God right there. The end time is getting nearer and nearer as every day goes by. If you can't see it, you better go back and start reading your Bible because the Bible tells you about everything that you're seeing taking place right now. This is the first of the seven promises, blessings in Revelation. The word blessed, which means spiritual happy. Even some of the words in this book speak of terrifying and solemn times. It is a blessing to know how thoroughly God holds all time and all times in his hand. People get concerned about everything that's going on in the world. I'm concerned, but I'm not worried about it because I know God's in control. He knows the end from the beginning. If you don't like the decisions that are being made in the government, just thank God that he is influencing the heart of the king, your president, your government leaders in that, so that everything that is happening is all part of his program to bring his son back and get us out of here. That's something to be happy about. Those who take time to read and try to understand this book will find themselves blessed by the hope of heaven and by the nearness of our Lord and Savior. Now, as I mentioned earlier, six of the seven are clustered in the latter third of the book. Perhaps as promises to encourage exemplary Christians response in the extremely difficult circumstances of the end time. And let me tell you, we're going through some difficult circumstances. Prayerfully, God will get us out of here before it gets too bad. I'm pre-trib. Dr. Summerall says you can be pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, but God's going to give you the grace to go through whatever he takes you through. The second is found in Revelations 14, verse 13. John writes, Then I heard the distinct words of a voice from heaven. You need to know the words that God is speaking to you. You need to know that voice. John recognized the voice that was speaking to him. He knew who it was. Do you recognize this is the voice that's speaking to you? Are you able to discern between the word of the Lord and the enemy that comes like an angel in light? You need to have the power of the Spirit to be able to do that. He goes on to say, Right, blessed, happy, prosperous, to be admired, are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, blessed indeed, says the Spirit, so that they may rest and have relief from their labors, for their deeds do follow them. This blessing ends in the section of chapter 14 that tells of the dooms of the worshipers of the beast. I can't go into everything in detail. Forgive me those that are Bible teachers and that. A lot of these scriptures are out of the context of everything. But I want you to see that God blesses you seven times in the book of Revelation. 
The third is in chapter 16, verse 15. And this is after the seven bowls of judgment. Another blessing. Do you notice that when judgment happens, God brings a blessing to those that make it through? It says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. We don't know the time or the hour that God is coming. Even his son doesn't know the time and the hour, he said. But I know that he is sitting on the edge of his throne, just waiting for the father to put his hand on his right shoulder and say, son, it's time to go get your bride. Blessed is he. Now, I'm going to put a little note in here. The following are metaphorical statements referring to a believer who is always expecting the return of Christ and maintains a lifestyle, the clothing of the righteous of Christ, of which he will not be ashamed when that day comes. So here comes the rest of the blessing. Blessed is he who stays awake and who keeps his clothes, that is, stays spiritually spiritually ready for the Lord's return so that he will not be naked spiritually unprepared that's what your nakedness is if you're not spiritually prepared what's happening and men will not see his shame Jesus warned believers to be vigilant because of the unexpected timing of his return that's Matthew 24, verses 43 and 44. Then he warns us to watch is a reminder of the parable of the ten virgins, Matthew 25, 1 through 13, who were told to therefore be on the alert, be prepared and ready, for you do not know the day or the hour. Number four is found in Revelation 19. And this is right after the song of victory in heaven. Revelation 19 and 9. Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me further, These are the true and exact words of God. We are blessed because as a believer, we are all invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Are you prepared to go, though, is my question. Are you going to be like the virgins? Five that were ready and five that were not. Five got to go in, five didn't get to go in. Even after they went and found their oil and came back and beat on the door, they missed the celebration. The marriage supper of John's day would begin on the evening of the wedding, but the celebration might continue for days. Take time sometime. And really study it. I found out in a little thing that I was given over the weekend that it was a Galilean wedding. And I always wonder, what does it mean that it's a Galilean wedding? I am finding out that each region had their own type of wedding ceremony. So God spoke to the people of Galilee where he was at. And he described the wedding that he prepared because they understood all the process of a Galilean wedding. People don't know it, but 
the reason the bride and groom didn't know the day, the, the groom was out preparing a room for us, for the bride, in his father's house. It was the father who controlled the day that the wedding would take place. He wouldn't let the son go and get the bride until he knew that the room was ready and everything for the preparation was ready. But they had to be prepared every night. The little thing I read said that the bride actually slept in her wedding dress in her bridesmaids every night. The groom and the groomsmen were in their tuxedos every night. Because they never knew when the father was going to say, enough is enough, go get your bride. We don't know when God's going to say, enough is enough, go get your bride. It's time to get them out of there. The marriage supper here is a time of joyous feastings to be enjoyed by the saints. We always talk about feasts, food. Food is the number one subject on a lot of people's heart and mind, especially during the holiday season. And that, everybody starts baking cookies, baking stuff, preparing things for meals and that, baking and giving things away. We had some uh, friends over at the house on Sunday, and my wife was telling them that I made 12 batches of cookies. Well, that doesn't sound like a lot of cookies, but each batch was two and a half dozen. So start multiplying out how many cookies were made. And most of those have been given away. But I have friends that on Facebook, they put out pictures of tables full of cookies. And they put out all these pictures of these big buffets and things that they're eating and at. No wonder everybody makes resolutions in January to go exercise. <laughs> the verses that I'm providing you right now, the blessings was the first seven visions of the final trumpet of heaven over the angelic human rebellion is in chapters 19 and 20. I don't have time to take you in depth into those chapters, but I will provide you the verses for you to look at. In chapter 19, you need verses 6 through 10, 11 through 16, 17 through 21, then chapter 21 through 3, 4 through 6, 7 to 10, and 11 to 15. The fifth is found in chapter 20, verse 6. And it deals with the thousand-year reign. Blessed, happy, prosperous, to be admired, and holy is the person who takes part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death, which is eternal separation from God, the lake of fire, has no power and authority. Those that go all out in the first resurrection and that, the second death has no power and authority over them. But they will be priests of God and Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. All look forward to a life with Christ beyond the first resurrection in the millennial reign. Verse 5. Resurrection is assured to all believers. I want you to understand if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are guaranteed resurrection. The second death is the one you need to be concerned about. Because 
there's two things. You're either going to be spending eternity in heaven or you're going to be spending eternity in the lake of fire. Don't get mad at the messenger. That's God saying that. If you're going to be mad at anybody, throw stones at God, not me. For the lake of fire for unbelievers who face the great white throne judgment in verses 11 to 15. John had previously told the church of Smyrna that the one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. That's uh, chapter 2, verse 11. The sixth blessing is found in chapter 22, verse 7. And this deals with the new Jerusalem and Jesus' coming. It says, And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed, happy to be prosperous, is the one who heeds and takes heart and remembers the words of this prophecy. Now, remember I asked you at the beginning, how many of you have read uh, Revelations? How many of you remember all the words of the prophecy? Because there's a blessing in remembering those words of the prophecy. That prophecy is the predictions, the consolations, and the warnings contained in this book. Those who pay attention to this book will be blessed. The Lord has shown the things that must come to pass, things that his servants must pay attention to. The ultimate fate of unbelievers and a beautiful glimpse of eternity, which leaves all believers with an eagerness for the return of the Lord. This blessing expresses similar thoughts or words of the first blessing. If you look at them real close, they kind of parallel each other. The final blessing is found in chapter 22, verse 14. Blessed, happy, prosperous, to be admired are those who wash their robes in the blood of Christ by believing and trusting in him. The righteous who do his commandments so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. This blessing is speaking of those justified by faith who express that faith and obedience because of having accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's what we're looking for. We want that blessing in chapter 22. And I can't wait to get to heaven and see some of the things. I used to tell God a long time ago, when I get to heaven, I want to sit down before the big video screen and watch the crossing of the Red Sea, watch David slew Goliath, and all of these other miracles, Elijah, you know, doing his thing with Jezebel and that, defeats the enemy and then runs in fear from a lady. And that, you know, I want to see all these things repeated on this big screen. And all of a sudden, I heard God laughing. And he's laughing hilariously. And it wasn't because he was giving. He was rebuking me. He says, when you get to heaven, none of that will concern you. Because you're going to be too busy praising and worshiping me. So all these things that we think we're going to get to talk to God about when we get in heaven... You may think they're important, but to him, 
It's nothing. It's your praise and worship that he's concerned about. The crowns that you've earned being tossed at his feet. That's what we're going to be doing. We won't even know about wanting to watch David slew Goliath, Moses in the Red Sea. It won't mean a thing because of the presence and the glory that we're going to be in when we're in heaven. I'm going to be closing. And anybody who has a Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. Get out your pen, your highlighter, because this is your assurance about the blessings. Verse 8 says, For it is by grace, God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ, that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, not through your own effort, but it is an undeserved, gracious gift of God. You don't earn God's gracious gift. It is a gift. If you're out earning a gift, then it's not a gift. So everybody who's looking for doing the right thing, I got to do this for God to love me. Wrong. He loves you regardless of your past, your present, and your future. He's not coming back again to face Calvary. He's already been there. And it's because of that finished work on the cross, the stripes that were laid on his back, the death and resurrection, that you have found favor and grace through Christ. All you have to do is call on his name and ask him to come into your heart. Verse 9 says, not as a result of your works. You know, as a pastor, one of the things that you get asked to do a lot of times is funerals. And, that. and when you're getting background on the people, everybody tells you about all their good works. And you look at them and the first question you say, did they know Jesus? Because if they don't know Jesus, all those things that people are calling good works don't mean a thing. You may think they're the best person in the world, but to God, if they don't know his son Jesus, it doesn't mean anything. Not as a result of your works, nor your attempts to keep the law. You can't keep the law. Jesus even proved that when they brought the lady to him in the temple. First of all, they didn't even keep the law by only bringing in the lady. I want to know where the man was. Both were to be stoned if they committed adultery. But when Jesus knelt down, now everybody, the Bible says dirt. From what I understand, I haven't been to Israel, but when you go to Israel, the temple floor is stone. So when he knelt down, and he started writing, all those Pharisees and leaders and hypocrites saw him writing in stone. Do you know what that told them? He was God. Because only one other person ever wrote in stone. And that was God. 
So when he knelt down and started writing in stone, he's telling them, I am God. And then when they all leave, he looks up and says, where are your accusers? And he says, go and sin no more. And Jesus said, you can't keep the law. The law says, thou shalt not murder, but if you hate somebody, that's the same as murder. The law says, thou shalt not commit adultery, but if you're looking at somebody else's wife or husband, he says, that's the same as committing adultery. And then, how bright the Hebrew people were, God gave them 10 commandments, and then they ended up adding 600 plus more to it. I mean, that's brilliant. If you can't keep 10, how are you going to keep 600 more? Goes on to say in verse 9, so that no one will be able to boast or take credit in any way for his salvation. You can't boast about your salvation. You didn't, didn't earn it. It was a gift. All those gifts we gave away this week, none of those children earned them. Nobody looked at their report card to see if they had A's on it. Nobody asked their parents, was he a good child today or this year? The church just blessed them with gifts. No questions asked. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, his own master work, a work of art. God considers you a work of art. You may not think that you are special, but in God's eyes, each and every single one of us is special. You may think that you are the worst person on earth. Let me tell you, it doesn't make a difference to God. Call on his name, and you're the greatest thing that's ever happened since crunchy peanut butter. <laughs> Why? Because you are created in Christ Jesus reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and ready to be used for good works. As a believer, you should be ready to do good works. You should be ready to bless people. I'm going to brag on this church for a little bit. I've been around many ministries. I've been around many ministry leaders. I go back to Dr. Lester Summerall, and if you were at his church, you had anybody that was anybody in the Christian world come through that church. I know them all. I've talked to all of them in that. But nobody in the ministries I've served has blessed me the way this church does. Amen. Nobody. And that's working for Lester Summerall, Ken, uh, yeah, Kenny Rogers, not the singer, but uh, Kenny Rogers that is related to the singer, in that family, there's at least seven Kenny Rogers. And that must have been the most popular name in the South at one time. But nobody has ever blessed me the way this church does. Taking paths which he set. When you know God, it's easy to be out there in the world because he's already set your footsteps. He has a plan for your life. And you may think that that plan isn't going to work. Young people, I'm going to talk to you. You may think that God doesn't have a plan for your life, but let me guarantee you, he does. 
The reason I know, because I saw what he's done in my life. He took a young man, put him in the army at the age of 18, brought him out at the age of 38. Well, in the service, sitting in Heidelberg, Germany, in a chapel, I hear God say, I've called you to preach. I looked at my wife and I said, what would you say? She says, I didn't say anything. Two more times, I heard the same thing. You never know when God's going to put you on the path he wants you to be on. Have I always been faithful to that past? I've taken a couple of side trips and found out that the grass isn't greener on the other side of the hill. He will draw you back. And when he draws you back, he's going to put you in positions that you never thought you would be in. I know. Like I said, I worked for Lester Summerall for the last eight years of his life. I got to meet people that you people see on TV. Some of them are no longer alive, but I met them and talked with them. God put me there. God brought me here. Very unique story. Moved here 13 years ago. Played around in a couple of churches before we came here. When we bought our house in Lorraine, Peggy says, where are we going to go to church now? I says, we'll go to Dr. Caton's church. I hadn't seen Dr. Caton since the late 1990s, after Dr. Summerall's funeral. I'm out in the lobby. Dr. Caton comes through those doors, walks past me, and does a 180-degree turn. And he says, Skip? I said, yes, sir. He says, what are you doing here? I says, as of today, this is my church. Within 30 days, I was planted in this church. Had coffee with Pastor Troy. He gives us a ticket to come to see uh, Peggy. What's his name? Tim Story. Come to see Tim Story in that, which I already knew many times. And I have been here ever since. Didn't want to be a pastor. I don't like titles. I've got titles in that from... Legally, if you don't know, I am still a master sergeant in the United States Army. The only thing I have to do on my name is say retired. I have a title that I can use. I earned. I spent 20 years in the military. So I can use the title Master Sergeant. I'm ordained by another ministry. On my license and ordination, it says Reverend. You can call me Reverend. But you know what? I learned from Dr. Summerall, titles don't mean anything. We were in a church and someone said to him, this pastor stood on a pulpit like this. For five minutes, he rant and raved about this great apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Dr. Summerall could rebuke you in unique ways. He takes the pulpit, and he's standing there, looking around out over the congregation. About 3,000 people there that Sunday night. And he's just standing there. This pastor gets up. And if I told you your na his name, a lot of you would recognize it. 
says, what's going on, Dr. Summerall? He says, I want to see this man, this great apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I want to see him. And the pastor says, well, I was talking about you. He says, I didn't know I was in a great apostle, pastor, evangelist, teacher and that. He says, all I know is I'm your, your brother in Christ. He did not like titles. The title he did use was Dr. Summerall or Brother Summerall. And for, while he was alive, I never heard his three sons refer to him other than Brother Summerall or Dr. Summerall. That was his titles. Verse 10 says, continuing on, it says, so that we would walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us. He made a prearranged plan for our life. My question is, are you fulfilling that prearranged plan or are you not? Worship team, if you want to go up in that. That's what God wants you to do. In Jeremiah, he says he has a plan for your life. You may not see it. You may deviate from it, but he will bring you back to the track for that plan. Again, I speak from experience, folks. Been there, done that. So my question to you tonight, here in this, if you all want to stand up, we're getting ready to dismiss. For those of you that are here in this service, listening to me online, have you committed your life to Jesus Christ? You've got two choices, as Pastor Troy said on Sunday as he was dismissing. You're either going to spend eternity in heaven or you're going to spend it in hell. It's your choice. Dr. Summerall used to say, the choice you make makes you. So think about it. You get to choose whether you want to spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. Jesus isn't going to come down off of his throne and grab you by the arm and say, Let's go to heaven. He's not going to do it. But if you humble yourself in your heart and ask for forgiveness, he will forgive you. And he will welcome you with open arms. It'll be like the prodigal son coming home to the father. The father saw him afar off, even ran out to him and said, welcome home. He says, well, treat me like your servant. He says, no. Go get a robe, a ring, sandals, kill the fatted calf because the one that was lost has come home. And that's what he wants you to do, to come home to him tonight. So every eye closed, every head bowed. Father, we just thank you that you're touching hearts tonight. Father, that people are entering into your kingdom because they've asked for forgiveness and they ask that you be the Lord and Savior of their life. And Father, we thank you for every decision that's been made here tonight. We give you the glory and the honor for it. It's not us. It's what your Holy Spirit has done in their lives that's drawing them into your kingdom. And we give you the glory and the honor for this evening and the word that went forth, knowing that it will not return to you void, but it will accomplish what it was sent out to do in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Live right. Love everybody and pray hard. And we will see you Sunday 
morning at all four campuses at the normal time. 